Welcome to Sibylline Podcasts, part of our insight series where we aim to provide relevant, timely and actionable analysis in a discursive format. We hope you enjoy listening and welcome any feedback. Please visit our website for more insight series updates. And as always, like, subscribe and share. Hello and welcome to another edition of Sibylline Podcasts. I'm Edward Johnson, the Insight Manager here at Sibylline. Today, I'm joined by Liana Samchuk, our lead Europe-Eurasia analyst, and Alex Lord, our Eurasia analyst, to discuss the recent uptick in violence in eastern Ukraine, Russia's military build-up along its borders, and what that means for the West and for peace within the region. Liana, Alex, could you please speak more about this and what the current situation is? Uh, thank you. Yes, so indeed, tensions between uh, Ukraine and Russia have notably increased in recent weeks um, after Russia engaged in what appears to be unscheduled troop movements close to the border with Ukraine and also sending more troops to Crimea, where it has a large military base. Uh, Also recently, there have been more and more reports indicating that the security situation in the east of Ukraine has been steadily deteriorating, uh, which is something that has been happening more more or less since the start of of this year. And this is largely in line with our previous forecasts and predictions that tensions between Russia and the West will likely result in the aggravation of the situation in the Donbass. And so this recent buildup of Russian troops on the borders has sparked a lot of speculations about the nature of Russia's intentions and speculations about a possibility of another invasion, things that Moscow has uh, so far dismissed and and denied. But the situation at the moment is still evolving, but this intensification and fighting um, along the line of contact, uh, along with the attack on the 26th of March, definitely marked a notable escalation uh, in attentions in the region and serves as a reminder that there is still scope for things to intensify and for more attacks to take place in the short term. Interesting. So, so why why now? Why is the timing of this increase in, in hostilities important? And why are we seeing the escalation more broadly uh, in, in eastern Ukraine? Well, personally, I think it's a combination of factors. Firstly, as I mentioned earlier, broader tensions between Russia and the U.S. is one likely factor in this recent flare-up in the East. And I think this military movement on the border is likely to be a more or less a deliberate display of power from Russia's side, which I think comes in response to these heightened tensions with Washington, and more specifically, the increased talk of Ukraine possibly advancing its membership in NATO. Other than that, uh, in recent weeks and and recent months, there have been other things that kind of led to a deterioration in relations between Ukraine and Russia, such as President Volodymyr Zelensky's uh, sanctioning of pro-Russian political forces in Ukraine, such as Viktor Medvedchuk. He's also recently stepped up his efforts to put pressure on other um, oligarchs in the country, like Igor Kolomoisky, largely in a bid to improve relations with the West and the United States more specifically. So cumulatively, from my perspective, I think all of this is adding to the tensions spilling over at this particular moment. Yeah, I would agree. I would also add that Zelensky um, in recent months is sort of hardening his stance in terms of the Minsk peace protocols, the part of the Normandy 4 um, negotiations involving Russia, Ukraine, France and Germany in a bid to try and resolve the conflict in Donbass. Zelensky has sort of become increasingly reticent to accept the protocols are under their current guise. And I think that is probably playing a a role in Russia's sort of strategic calculus in terms of why it's doing it now, really. 
So more of a positioning and saber-rattling approach from, from the Russian side uh, in, in response to developments in Ukraine, perhaps. But strategically speaking, is there a credible risk of an imminent Russian invasion in, in the short term, do we think? At the moment, uh, I think, as I've alluded to, I, I do not think that there is an imminent risk of an invasion, purely in terms of cost versus benefit analysis. I think that the costs for both sides uh, to engage in a military confrontation and or for Russia to invade are too high. For instance, you know, uh, the looming threat of much more economically damaging sanctions and potential derailment of the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline, um, especially uh, ahead of the September elections in, in Russia, uh, would be some of the most immediate consequences for, for Moscow. Also, I think Moscow is definitely counting on the fact that despite this increased rhetorical support from the West for Ukraine, it's, it's unlikely that any actual military backing would be offered. But I think Kyiv is also aware of this. So from Ukraine's side, any kind of military clash or offensive in Donbass would likely give Russia a reason to intervene a bit more strongly uh, in order to protect the, so, uh, so to speak, proclaimed self-proclaimed republics. And this would be, I think, a huge blow for Zelensky, who already is struggling with uh, declining public support, especially after the fact that in 2019, he ran on a platform that, amongst other things, promised to actually end the war in Donbass. So to that end, I don't think that any military clash or an invasion is likely at the moment. But of course, this risk should not completely be ruled out. But at least for a time being, I think this buildup by Russia is probably designed to be more of a warning to Washington not to interfere and that and a signal that Russia remains a key player and that it can escalate and de-escalate the situation at any point. Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with Liana, definitely. I think the likely international backlash would probably outweigh the advantages of a full Russian invasion of Ukraine. Extremely punishing Western sanctions would likely be levied, which as Liana alluded to, during an all-important election year, could definitely risk an economic crisis. And I think that's something that Kremlin is unlikely to want to risk, given the, the significant struggles that Russian households currently face with rising inflation and particularly rising food prices. However, having said that, I think there are numerous reasons why Moscow might want to initiate an escalation. So there are multiple reasons for this. Um, one of them could well be an attempt to resolve the long-term water shortage issue in Crimea. And this has been a long-term problem for the region. And initiating a broader invasion of Ukraine could well prove an opportunity for Moscow to seize strategic water infrastructure assets in order to offset this, this um, enduring crisis. But indeed, more broadly, it could be an, an opportunity for Russia to resolve the Donbass conflict um, once and for all, and um, by pu pushing the borders significantly further into Ukraine, but ultimately, I think the the, the hugely cost the huge cost in terms of military finan um, financial and political terms would probably outweigh the advantages. But what we could be seeing equally um, is simply a demonstration by Russia of its ability to mobilize at the border in order to deter Kiev from attempting to alter the status quo in the Donbass, for example, trying to retake more land or indeed just an attempt to force Ukraine to implement the elements of the peace process, the Minsk to peace process that Moscow favours and which Kiev has um, so far been reticent to implement. 
Fantastic. I mean, it's clear from Russia's side, from what you guys have been saying, then that it's positioning and, and largely posturing uh, rather than a, a, you know, an imminent threat of invasion. Kiev's response has been uh, fairly rhetorically assertive um, and has, has called on the West to accelerate its, its membership of, of NATO. Now, how likely is this? And do we think you know, how effective would these these calls for, for Ukraine to, to join NATO be? And What's the sort of trajectory or pipeline t- timeline we see for Ukraine joining the uh, the alliance? Uh, yeah, so I think certainly this this latest aggravation um, of the situation in the East uh, has prompted Zelensky to uh, increase calls on NATO to back Ukraine's uh, membership uh, in in the alliance, and you know arguing that this would essentially serve as a key deterrent um, to Russia, but. Uh, uh, firstly, I think it's it's very unlikely at the moment that Ukraine um, will be able to advance um, in its aspiration in joining NATO. I mean, whilst you know NATO leaders have expressed uh, their uh, support for Ukraine and its territorial integrity, you know they remain hesitant at the moment to make any more concrete uh, promises uh, regarding membership action plan or or anything like that. And secondly, I think contrary to Zelensky's statement that uh, this would serve as a deterrent uh, to Russia, I think actually closer integration with NATO is likely to, in fact, further aggravate the situation in the East. Uh, And this much has already been um, said by the Kremlin in response to an increase um, for Ukraine's joining the alliance. Uh, You know, historically, Russia has always been opposed to these aspirations and has tried to keep NATO um, from expanding closer to its borders. And this is a position that has not changed and is not likely to change anytime soon. Yeah, I would very much agree. I think Zelensky earlier this week called on um, NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg um, to sort of fast track Ukraine's membership of NATO and um, in supporting a membership action plan for the country. Um, He argued that it's the only way to end the war in Donbass, but the realities and the practicalities of this make this very complicated and difficult. As Liana said, I think fast tracking Ukrainian NATO membership would in in many ways actually exacerbate the situation. Um, Ukrainian NATO membership has always been a significant issue for the Kremlin and arguably was a major trigger, at least the the perception of um, Ukraine's future membership of NATO was a major trigger in the annexation of Crimea in 2014, for example. So any sort of movement towards membership could well exacerbate the situation on the ground. And the deployments um, that we're seeing at the border could well play into a deterrent factor in the other direction to deter Ukraine from actually moving forward with its membership. I think there's also, unfortunately, numerous practical reasons um, which mean that membership is still quite a way off. So there are significant governance issues and the need the continuing need for reform of the defence sector, particularly its transparency, mean that most of the membership criteria haven't been yet been met. And I think the, short of NATO, the NATO Council deciding to fast track um, Ukraine's membership, I think um, membership is ultimately still quite a far way off. So given the Russian sensitivities around Ukrainian, not even membership of NATO, but Ukrainian cooperation or association with NATO, what can the West do to support uh, Ukraine in this context? And, and what is it likely to do in, in the short term, given the scenario and the situation and the scenarios we've outlined today? 
Well, at, at the moment, there have certainly been a notable increase in high-level calls of support for Ukraine from various uh, Western states, including um, a phone call between uh, President Zelensky and uh, President Joe Biden. There is likely to be uh, many more attempts at diplomacy um, in the short term, and uh, of course, the threat of much more economically damaging sanctions, uh, especially from the US, um, remains a possibility. But uh, at the moment, it doesn't seem that there will be any direct uh, military support from the West uh, for Ukraine should things uh, notably worsen, uh, which I think, again, is something that Russia uh, is aware of or is betting on. So in the short term, I think we can probably expect to see a lot more fighting in, in the Donbass uh, and something we can probably expect to see uh, in the weeks ahead. Indeed. I think, yeah, the... the... The options for NATO and the West are limited in this. I think potentially one avenue is um, some naval deployments in the Black Sea, um, obviously an area of considerable contention, particularly given the annexation of Crimea in 2014. But troop deployments on land are obviously very escalatory. So potential solidarity solidarity sailing of of naval vessels in the Black Sea could well be um, an option for NATO, but ultimately with limited um, implications on the ground, I think. Interestingly, though, the timing comes as um, the Biden administration have recently completed an intelligence review of Russian interference, including in the 2020 election and, of course, the infamous SolarWinds hack that we saw last year. So what we could be seeing in the next couple of weeks is US sanctions on Russia and potentially the expulsion of Russian intelligence officers or diplomats. These sanctions are likely to be more robust than those which we've seen previously against Russia, for example, over the poisoning and arrest of Alexei Navalny. Um, So it's an interesting timing of this development. And I think if the US do levy significantly more robust sanctions, I mean, some have been suggesting that the US could go as far as limiting or banning trading or holding of Russian sovereign debt, for example, which would obviously be quite an interesting and significant precedent and with potentially quite a significant big in, significantly big impact on foreign investors in the Russian market, for example. But I think if the, if the US does um, initiate those sanctions in the coming weeks, I think that will play a big role in how we're going to see these tensions um, unfold. Um, and potentially further escalatory points and trigger points um, in the future if those sanctions are actually levied. I think it's it's definitely a a situation in an area of the world that we're going to continue to watch very, very closely, both in terms of the response of the US and and Russia. So, Liana, Alex, thank you very much for joining us today, and uh, thank you for your insight. I'm now joined by our Deputy Insight Manager, Amy Reynolds, who will present a forecast of key events to watch uh, in the week ahead. Amy, what's uh, what's on the cards? Hi there. Yeah, thanks, Ed. So, yeah, we have a few different areas that we'll be keeping an eye on over this coming weekend and into next week, in particular concerning protests around COVID-19 and related government measures. Starting in Europe, um, this Saturday, the 10th of April in Denmark, The Corona Skeptic Activist Group, the Men in Black, uh, will be staging a nationwide protest following the implementation of Denmark's domestic vaccine passport scheme. And from what we can see amongst the social media chatter around this, um, it looks as though the group will be 
specifically protesting the vaccine pass and the nationwide testing scheme. So protests are likely to focus on testing centres, um, which are generally located in hospitals and on government buildings as well. And then jumping across to Argentina, um, COVID-19 infections in the country are really spiking at the moment and the vaccine rollout there has been pretty limited so far. And as a result, the government are tightening mobility restrictions. Um, and here too, we expect to see an increase in related unrest um, with some potential for violence there as well as a sort of manifestation of public discontent um, with perceptions of the pandemic's mismanagement also linked to a rise in poverty in the country. So away from uh, COVID-related disruption and, and unrest, what else uh, have you been, uh, been seeing for the weekend? Yeah, so we're, we're also tracking a couple of upcoming dates in the Asia-Pacific region. Firstly, in Myanmar, there's a public holiday next week from the 13th to the 16th of April to mark the Burmese New Year, um, which is typically the most important festival in the national calendar. This year, um, we expect that security will be very tight um, and violent clashes are highly possible um, as anti-hunter protesters are calling to boycott the festival and spray red paint on the streets in defiance of the security forces crackdown. And then lastly, in Thailand, um, it's also the Thai New Year uh, or Songkran Festival from the 13th to the 15th of April. And here there is some risk of disruption caused by related events, but the risk of any notable unrest or violence is much more moderate, um, as the student-led anti-government protest movement in the country has largely lost its momentum in recent months. And also because many of the typical parties and concerts associated with Songkran um, have been cancelled this year due to COVID-19. Thanks very much, Amy, for that outlook. And uh, thank you, everybody, for, for joining us today. I hope you found the podcast enjoyable. And as always, please, please be sure to like, subscribe and share our content.